0: Hey, you, Prime members, you can listen to three little words ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. This podcast is brought to you by Quorn, the nation's favourite meat-free brand. Quorn is a great partner for this show because their products have been in our house for years because I'm a vegetarian, so it's always in my fridge. For every episode, we learn something new about our partner, Quorn. Uh, it's delivered to us as a quack from Zoe.
1: Yeah. yeah, I'm just going to deline into it for you. This is, week's is that, a, is that how we say delivered? Delivered, yeah. Delivered. yeah. Uh, this week's Quorn quacked is that Quorn has served more meals than any meat alternative brand ever, over 7 billion servings. That's about one meal for every single person on this planet.
0: That is a massive massive fact to have when you consider that it's now quite cool to be vegan and vegetarian but it wasn't when I first started 35 years ago there no was hardly any brands knocking about so that's a massive massive you
1: were a know. trend leader weren't you I
0: was in yeah. fact it was me who changed everyone else's mind
1: yeah, yeah. it's me that's delivered the quacks, though, isn't it? Yeah. let's yeah. be right
0: let's be right
1: hey Dave yeah Randy since we founded bombus we've always said our socks underwear and t-shirts are super soft any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad?
0: Yes.
2: Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase.
0: So if you're going vegan, vegetarian, or just cutting down on meat a bit, you'll find that Quorn is a great option because they've got so many different products, from cocktail sausages to Turkish-style kebab. There's something for everyone. Thanks for downloading this episode of Three Little Words. I'm here with Tony Pitts. Yes, I'm here. Yeah, and we've got a guest today that we're both excited to interview, aren't we, so? Yeah. Yeah, 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 uh, and I'm excited because he's a mate of mine. So it's one of those things where I'm introducing. Oh, is it? <laughs> I know, yeah, I know you know. Well, listen, yeah, yeah. they'll know because they've downloaded yeah, it. They've, and they've downloaded already it. seen of course, this thing. Yeah, yeah. It it is uh, a wonderful writer, comedian, actor, humanitarian as well. And if anybody wants to know more about Russell and what he's up to at the moment, he's also got his own podcast, which you can find on the Luminary platform which is a subscription platform but he's come to us as a guest hey uh, so welcome to the show russell brand i'm so happy to see you john it's nice to meet you and all mate
2: nice to meet you
0: yeah it's it's funny because during this lockdown period we have been in touch and we keep on trying to get a dog walk in together or get and just i suppose it reflects what's going on with everybody we just can't get it together can we because as soon as you think it's gonna happen we can't go anywhere anyway. Yeah, you got sick and old, didn't you, mate? Are you feeling yeah. Right? yeah, no, we've, me and Melanie have massively improved. But it knocked me for six. Not me in a way I wasn't expecting. Yeah, Really? And what it did is it made you stop, which is very interesting because we'll come on to you and and what you do. It gave me a bit of time to catch up with certain things. And one of the things that I like about you that we I'm sure we'll talk about is the way the trajectory of your life has been almost, to reach up, to force yourself to stop at times and get off the train. Not with a debilitating virus, but a life choice. (laughs) (laughs) So listen, Russell, as you know, we've been um, doing this show for a while now and the whole thing about it is that we get people to bring three words that mean something to them. Your words are are very reflective of you because I've seen your words this time. Normally, I don't see the words but because they were sent from you to me on WhatsApp, I got to see <laughs> Yeah, then I went to Google them and went, what's that? So tell us, tell us what your face word is. Numinous. Okay. Numinous.
1: Okay. So, okay, so yeah, numinous means a divine spiritual or pertaining to a Newman. A Newman's a spirit or a divinity associated with a place. The etymology derives from Newman mean divine will or, more accurately, divine approval expressed by the nodding of the head. First term by Russell Otto in his 1917 book, The Idea of the Holy. He also used the phrase, mysterium tremendum, to describe it. My description of the numinous is that sense of awe and wonder that's in all of us. And then finally, just a little quote, a fantastic quote from Hitchens. We know how to think, we know how to laugh, we know we're going to die, which gives us a lot to think about. And we need for what I would call the transcendent or the numinous or even the ecstatic that comes out in love and music, poetry and landscape. And I wouldn't trust anyone who doesn't respond to those things. Numinous.
0: Mm. So what
2: made you pick picky? So when I learned that word, I think I was writing about football and I was trying to find a word that described the feeling of coming up the stairs at Upton Park Mm. to go into the West Bank and the feeling of seeing the pitch when as a little kid and it must have been a night game like and it being really floodlit and the feeling of awe and sort of excitement tinged with fear and that I was dealing with a power that I didn't really understand and I, I guess like I would have been writing about it 20 or you know 20 or 30 25 years later and i guess i must have sought that word out through you know a dictionary or googling it or whatever and when i found numinous and like what i remember actually the other connection i remember was that i was thinking about i've been to that have you ever been to is it called saint peter's in in rome the the basilica there Like I remember when I went there and saw that, and it's all sort of celestial starscapes and stuff. Thinking that if you were coming like on a pilgrimage, hundred miles from some peasant village, looking up at that ceiling, you would have felt God. Yes, felt God is a real thing. Look at how can human beings even create this structure? And like I was looking at the connection between that and the feeling of awe and excitement around seeing the lit pitch at Upton Park, and that's how I came to learn that word and I've I've liked it ever since because as in the Hitchens quote that you used there it's in and of course Hitchens famously atheistic Mm. but I I think it is hard to find that sense in life I think it's something that's been stripped away that things are increasingly made mundane flattened out of meaning and of Mm. joy and the kind of things that Hitchens was talking about in that quote there.
1: I think there's a sense of awe and wonderment that's innate in all of us. I remember us, uh, being a small child around six years old, picking up a tennis ball on a Sunday night in Sheffield, 1968, and thinking, this is real, this is really happening. And that never left me. That sense of wonderment and awe. And the thing you said about the Basilica, I think that's deliberate, right? That religious architecture is, is built that way to inspire that within, uh, within us and uh, it's interesting that you used the word fear because i think that is part of it too right
2: yeah it's beyond our capacity to hold it and in like you know in the specific example of attending live f- football what i always i don't know enjoyed perhaps is too reductive a term but was engaged by was the sense that i didn't feel entirely safe and it was only yeah. sort of about yes. midway through the second yes. part. when I felt fully immersed in the experience and loss of individualism. And perhaps that's something that's interesting about Newmanism is that it indicates something transcendent and beyond us. And and that feeling of being separate from that is frightening.
0: I get that. I mean, you're talking about being a child, going to Upton Park and not feeling entirely safe. I've been a few times as (laughs) an adult, not felt entirely safe. I totally get the the football pathway to explaining that word and that experience. Because it is beyond you, and it always will be beyond you. You just get more comfortable with it.
1: That was a question I had for you on the back of that, Russell, because I was thinking on the train on the way up today, because I I hate the tyranny of definition, but if I'm anything, I think I'm an absurdist. I think that's the closest that I've got to... I essentially believe that we seek meaning and purpose in the world, uh, in a world that is without meaning and purpose. That numinous feeling is, I think, the hardest thing for. I'm an atheist. I think that's the hardest thing for us to uh, to wrestle with. Yes, it's tough, right?
2: I believe in God, but I imagine, like with most, like I don't know what I would say, like intellectual atheists, I find a lot of common ground because I'm not dogmatic in my uh, religious or spiritual belief. It's more a relationship with the, navigating that feeling, the feeling of the numinous mm. that may come about, as you described, with like, you know, holding a tennis ball as a kid and thinking, oh my God, this is real, this is real. And I remember similarly being a kid and like trying to, I was going to, my dad was going to take me on holiday. And I was thinking while waiting to go on the holiday, like not in these exact words, because I was like seven, mm. it will be this consciousness that experiences this as yet forthcoming reality. Yes. And when I experience that reality, I will be me. It's not happening yeah. now, though, but it yeah. actually will be. And I'm sort of almost trying to plant a flag in the future so that when I arrive there, I go, oh, wow, yeah, look, it is happening now. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to deal with being a con- being conscious in an external reality, yes. in the planes of time and space, temporality and space. And space. How do you navigate this and also how do you and i think the numinism is the occasional breach of the unknowable yes in the limited rubric of our senses an idea that there is like you know there is no rational reason to believe in god there's certainly no way of proving it except for these occasional flashes that indicate a world beyond
0: us so you talked about that first experience of walking out up the steps to up the park and seeing it all lit up and that was your first sense of real wonderments and fair sense of awe and fair relationship with this word Numinous. But then you said this, and as Tony went through the etymology of it, you get to that sense of this relationship with God. And you said there that, that you, know, you, you believe in God, but that's been a journey for you. Is Numinous part of that journey was your moment where you ever sensed that same amount of awe that you sensed as a six-year-old kid when you went oh my god i've got the answer i now do believe in god
2: it's because well, my own belief in god is that it's The thing that believes in God and God are the same thing. It's a place of kind of separateness. It's not about a kind of a a set of moral imperatives or ethics or standards that we can appeal to, although there is that. The best way that I've sort of, I've felt it at loads of times, pretty typical times, I imagine both of you, like, you know, when my kids have been born and the sort of sense of like, how is this happening? <laughs> and I don't know biologically how, but like, and, and even anatomically, but like, how is this happening? How is this person? Who is this person? And, they, and then sort of like the moments when they just puncture your day with their beauty. And sometimes these incredibly, awfully sentimental thoughts penetrate me. Like my dog is very, very loving. My dog, Bear. And once the thought occurred to me that the reason he's so loving and on the front foot when it comes to giving love is that on some essential at like a fundamental level of his being he knows that dogs don't live long and he needs to get all of the love (laughs) (laughs) it killed me i killed myself with yes yes
0: but that sense of almost the pain of joy when you go oh my god i am here i am i am in and i've I'll be honest with you. I, I would say more lately in recent years th- than before. I've been at moments, and I suppose it might be coming to a certain sense of mortality, or mm-hmm. people that have close to me have passed on. Where I, I've suddenly gone, oh my God, all of this is happening to the to the point where it's almost too emotional. But I found myself yeah. stood there crying. going, why, why am I, why <laughs> am I walking the dogs crying? Yeah. It's too
1: beautiful. It is. Too much and not enough all at the same time, I think.
0: And I think from my experience of you, and particularly if people will be fans of your podcast, Under the Skin, you do talk to a lot of people about this sense of spirituality and belonging. And there's like a physics... A mental physics going on between explaining reality, explaining consciousness, explaining the dimensions that we're in, but also bedding that in the pure human emotion of being in awe that even intellectually you can jump about conceiving your own immaterial being, which is bonkers when you think about it. Because I'm sure your dog isn't licking you and going crazy because he's thinking... I've got to do this to know I'm an am an entity. What if he is? What if he is? <laughs> bear might be. Am I a being? Yeah. Is bear real?
1: Is me dinner might be
0: more
2: pragmatic. But like a lot of the time when I'm with that animal. He just feels like he is—he is love embodied, and I think sometimes it, to 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 um, bolt a materialistic argument onto that seems as willful as as religious zealotry. No, they're just evolved yes. to supply you with food. That's yes. it, it's like a kind of a a joylessness. I remember, um, I've got nothing to respect, but respect for Richard Dawkins, who, who doesn't. But I remember my mate Matt saying that he was like Professor Yaffle from Bagpuss. I, no, that's nothing but an old shoe. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> like trying to take the joy out of everything yeah. in Emily's shop window. No, it is. Yes, of yeah, course. Yeah, that's a brilliant name and It's a great first yeah, word. Fantastic.
0: You know, it's also a first word that sounds like it comes from Harry Potter. It's a beautiful, magical sounding word, isn't it? Russell, what's your second word? The second word is
1: synoctoche. Synoctoche. So its meaning essentially is it's a figure of speech where a part is taken for the whole. And I think the best way to explain it would be examples. So suits means businessmen. Boots can be soldiers. America means the United States of America. Number 10 can mean the office of the Prime Minister. England can be the English football team. It's just a figure of speech which is the part is taken for the whole. No quotes with it, because it's, essentially it's a, a linguistic device. So why did you choose that word, Russell?
2: One of my favourite, like, say when I want to learn words, I'll either read, like, um, the, David Foster Wallace, in my favourite, or maybe, like, Will Smith. You read someone that, like, has got a very active vocabulary that uses, like, wide-ranging words. Now, David Foster Wallace I like because I enjoy the emotional content of his work I enjoy the sort of presence of the struggle his clear um, desire to participate in mystery and to find love and, and and unlike the sort of great American authors that immediately preceded him about to, to be fair I don't know that much he was a kind of a very sort of a faithful and optimistic man that yes. sought more than like sex or gratification he was a very sort of uh powerfully religious man and again i'm not making any judgment on that i just know that that's the sort of thing i've heard a lot of. that foster wallace broke from like Saul bellow and philip roth and and uh updike and that like and and like what uh, yeah and so like that word synopticae or synecdoche sort of depends sort of i guess you know because it's not a word that i go bandying about too much either but like, the reason like like that i i like that as a word is because because as you said in the definition it's stat like you can say you know when we say number 10 were furious about the revelation yeah. yes it, like you would literally go what what number 10 the number 10 is furious is it <laughs> yeah. about the yeah. revelation <laughs> well, number 11 told it a lie yet, we yet, know that yeah. it means that number 10 down in street so that we understand that and like you said with the england example and i think what that indicates is that that you know the limitations precisely the limitations of language because it, it can be partitioned off one piece of it can function in a particular way yes. i've maintained this kind of limiting idea that there's no point reading translations because i think how could you how can if you're reading dostoevsky or Camus, how can it possibly be what they meant if you play yes. Russian or French? Yes. Like, how can it be that anymore? Mm. Like, you know, it's, a re- it's been quite a sort of a limiting thing.
0: But is it also uh, an indication of the propensity for people to be reductive? Yeah, to I try and just—you could say cut to the chase, but you could also say cut out the detail.
2: That's right. Like that, you lose. Yes, you lose Nuance. Yeah, and it says something about power as well. Yes, I think, that the sort of that the power can be so perfectly enshrined in just a couple of sounds, and that it for it forecloses contemplation or consideration, like that. That so much of pageantry, so much of what we're presented, distracts us from the fact that there's no particular reason why power should be deposited in the places that it is. That we could just stop participating in culture at any point. We could say, "I oh, don't, I'm not doing that anymore." I, I, I like these kind of like I suppose like through his use of language, through his choice of unusual words, because like uh, you know, like a word as you know a, a bleak a, a, as a synoptic you could you know i'm sure you could get through writing a novel without using it or a, or in my case a thousand word news article but like when you do use it you're alluding to sort of certain um i want to say subcutaneous truths and it, yes. i'm minded of a, like a philosophical idea like it come at me maybe from the uh welsh philosopher brad evans and i think he sort of um, sort of riffing on Foucault, that he says, like that va- violence is inherent in all law, even in the most sort of, uh even in the most um, mundial cases. Like you know, do not park here. Yes. You might say I am going to park here, then you're going to get a ticket for sixty quid. I'm not paying a ticket for sixty quid, and then you're going to get a court summons. I'm not going to court. Well, then there's going to be a knock on the door. I'm not opening the door. The door's getting smashed open, some geezers are dragging you off. Like, behind behind all apparent, like, ordinary, civilised information yes. and structure, there is the threat of violence. Yes. Like, this beautiful little term, synopticate, it's like a Foster Wallace is inviting you into a contemplative space that reveals a lot about what is unseen and what is unexamined.
0: Your joy in knowledge and your joy in learning and your joy in particularly learning words and your use of words seems to have evolved once you stepped out of formal education so do you feel from now being a parent when you're looking back at your own kids and i know that you've got uh, you know the ages of them you're going to have to make choices of the education pathways that you go through and the system that we operate in do you look at it and think you know what we've got education wrong because education's not the joy that you seem to be expressing where I don't think there's any teacher saying to kids, right, I tell you what, just just get a little list on your phone of all the words you really like. It doesn't matter whether you're going to use them again, but look at it every now and again and enjoy it for the joy that it is.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, because I think there are a lot of social, economic and cultural pressures on teachers. And I think that if you look at um, – what do they say? Sometimes they should they, – I've heard this sort of analytical device that um, – If you want to understand something, look at what it does, and then like, and then you've got to decide whether or not you know that's deliberate. And I think that the sort of education system, in a way, like whether even if you're talking in quite um you know esoteric circles or accomplished circles, should we say like that famous moment? I believe it's actually between Andrew Marr and Noam Chomsky. When like Andrew Marr challenges Noam Chomsky on his famous book, The Manufacture of Consent, where like sort of Chomsky puts forward the idea that we are sort of manipulated into consent, into certain beliefs and certain power dynamics and structures. And Andrew Marr said, like, and, 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 and Chomsky, of course, particularly cites the role of the media in creating this consensus among ordinary people. And uh, and Andrew Barr challenges Chomsky and goes, hold on a minute, so you're saying that I'm like a sort of a spokesperson for the establishment and that I'm, you know, manipulating people and espousing views that I don't believe in? And Chomsky responds, no, I'm saying... If you didn't have those beliefs if you didn't have the beliefs that convenient to establishment you wouldn't be sitting in that chair so like even some of the super well-educated i presume like andrew mark it was andrew marks i could be making a mistake that's not beyond the bounds of possibility <laughs> like, like like uh like that um you know you go to a, even if you go to a, like you get into a grammar school you get into a good you get a scholarship to a good university you come out super bright has it done to you? What is it done to your your way of seeing the world? And like Chomsky, in that moment, is telling you it's streamlining your thoughts, it's packaging your thoughts, it's controlling you. It's a, like the object. What is the objective of education?
0: Well, this is it because I know, like you know, Laura, your wife does this Instagram post called the Joy Journal. And it's about joy. It's about craft. It's about being involved. And I'm not knocking teachers. I think teachers are the the most important people in society because they're the ones who who affect the future. The problem is that they're constrained within the parameters of what's regarded as success. And so they're judged by a system that, that creates upon them uh, a need to keep farming out and keep hitting marks. And we're all, all three of us are, are different than the life that was intended for us.
1: It seemed to me that informal education. When we did uh, Laurie Leahs, I walked up one Midsummer's morning, and that was a f- portal that I walked through and never returned. The rest of it was of no interest. Uh, within that, I went to a comprehensive school. Uh, average class size was fifty-five. So the lessons were average
0: class 55. 55.
1: 2,600 kids in the class. Myers Grove Comprehensive it was a flagship comprehensive in Sheffield. It
0: might
2: as well have just, just give you the pickaxe and the miner's helmet. <laughs> exactly,
1: well, it was about management. It was about the the lessons were about management for the teachers. It was about managing that many kids with How'd all. how you do that? All, well, that's you don't do it. But the, I found that when I looked down and there was a book in front of me, suddenly I wasn't in amongst. Well,
0: that's the thing. I think there'll be a new appreciation for the skill of teaching now that so many people have done homeschooling. But when you get to 55, that's not teaching. No, no, it's herding. It's 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 herding. It's It's essentially herding. It's a teacher and it's classroom.
1: Some of them did have border college. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) it's
0: classroom assistants called SHEP. That's right. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it is a great word. I don't even think I can pronounce it. <laughs> I wrote
2: it down you phonetically do, it? In, my, like, in my phone as well. And I, like, I think it's decay or synec decay.:
0: Yes, yeah. Well, they're two brilliant words. What's your, uh, what's your third word, Russell? The third word that I've
2: chosen is another David Foster Wallace word is phatic.
1: Right. so Fatic. So, so uh, I said to John, bizarrely, so I've do, I'm just writing something, Russell. I'm well, making something, making a, an absurdist comedy drama. And I wrote Fatic Communion yesterday.
0: Oh, cool! Uh, re-
1: and I cool. realise that that's the basis of John and I's relationship for 22 years.
0: <laughs> so it's well,
1: essentially, now,
0: now you're going to have to explain the etymology to see if, oh, I, so oh, I can decide if I'm insulted oh, by that oh, comment. Well, no, you, no, you <laughs> won't be. It's
1: it's essentially the lubrication of social discourse, and it's chit chat. It's. Um, It's language that's there to establish and maintain and manage bonds of sociality between participants. So it's everyday conversational exchanges in things like good afternoon and how are you? I've got one quote from Echo, Umberto Echo. Chatter, then, will be phatic discourse that has become an end in itself. But sports chatter is something more, a continuous phatic discourse that deceitfully passes itself as talk. So phatic is, I guess we could say chit chat, but it's there for. It's not there to to get any real information about the person you're talking with. It's not a. Re, you're not really engaging with people, and uh, it's the thing that put a madness in me as a child because I thought people aren't really saying what they're thinking about anything at all ever, and that set up a, a, a tension in me. So why? Yeah. yeah. So why did you choose that word, Russell?
2: Well, it, the word phatic resonated with me when I read it and again it was Foster Wallace and I think I feel like the context he used it in was like one of the things I love about David Foster Wallace is the way that he roams all over the gaff with his brief right like he's like he's a, at points was a jobbing journalist so like they, he's been told go and review this cruise liner right and it's meant to probably be a bit of a puff piece for a cruise liner he comes back with like the reason a cruise liner will always fail you is because it promises luxury, but you can never suspend a state of luxury. What <laughs> are you like? <laughs> Can't stay in that state, if possible, and that he goes. You're in this amniotic floating space, like you know. And when have you been in that before? An amniotic space where all your needs have met. It's trying to create a uteral condition. It's trying to return you to the sort of like you know to like be like, the, the, to the uterus. And I'm in it, he talks about phatic. there's a bit where he says, "I think that phatic signs inform you that you can take as many towels as you want, or something like that." And I looked up phatic. And like, and like, as you said in your um, definition, there. What I liked about it is that it's there is so much that's exchanged. Though I dispute on Berro echoes um, like analysis of sports discourse there, because I think so much meaning can be exchanged when men yeah. are talking about, like, you know, I say men, but, but obviously people. But like, uh, you know, talking about football in particular. But like, uh, the idea that what, like, the thing you said mate, about when you was a kid. Like the feeling that this is like some fog of language, insidious fog where there's no meaning being exchanged, that you're like, you know, that these that the that life can become made up of this exchange of banalities, never reaching into we're born, we're going to die, we love people, we're gonna get our hearts broken, we're gonna have to go through incredible loss. And I have to have recourse to that place, you know, but like in a functional way, not in a philosophical way. Like sort of if I'm cut up in traffic or if someone upsets me I have to somehow find a way to think this is a human being that's like me that if there would there would be moments in their life where I could see them crying and I would feel nothing but compassion for yes. them so yes. in this moment don't you know but like if we live on this frequency you know I don't know how to use fatic in any other way I don't think we say faticism or whatever like but you know it's you're it's creating a state that's devoid of meaning and the banalization of culture I think is one of the things that we're we've been suffering from at depth for a long time. And that's my, in a sense, so I no disrespect to your personal views. That's my concern with atheism is that if everything becomes rational, logic, material, that people are like, that we lose mystery. And, and I, obviously I can see that mystery is something that very much engages you. But yes. like um, that's, but that's my particular concern with that kind of rather zealous atheism that became popular 10 years ago.
0: I can't get old with me, Ed, that Foster Wallace, taking his review of the cruise to yeah. his editor, yeah. who's wanting to find <laughs> out yeah. it's, it's a lovely boat, and he's yeah, gone, yeah, oh, yeah, for fa- yeah. fuck, yeah. what, what, again? Yeah. Do have, again?
1: Do, do they have gaming tables? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just
0: tell me what the food was like, and it was a nice boat, uh, that's I've... it. <laughs> but when you said "fatic," and when it came out, and when we were looking at, at the descriptions of what it is, the loose words that fluff our lives without getting to the meaning... Was it an attempt to get through that that attracted you to what I would call the purity of communication in stand-up? Yeah,
2: thinking about it, a lot of my drives of, been an attempt to mine through that, like you know, drug addiction is an attempt yeah. to sort of reach something visceral and meaningful. Yeah. And stand up, you're right. Is it like it's an opportunity now to be direct, determining your own meaning? Stand up is about self determination. And like when Chappelle says, you know, everything is usable, everything. Like you know that like you, you've got this completely um, live form, as in live in the sense of vibrating, you know, as well as obviously live in the other sense. So. Yeah, I I do feel like that stand-up meant you can say exactly what you mean. You don't have to find a way of fitting it into a script. You don't have to find a way of making it rhyme. you just like, I mean this. This is what it feels like to be me. And then you have a chance to examine that axis where the personal and universal surely meet, that if you are particular and specific enough about the exact experience of being you, that people won't go, well, I don't know what the fuck you're on about, mate. People will go, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: To me, it's the constant futile attempt to create
0: but, uh, but is, is uh, I mean we're being quite dismissive on those phrases that you will call phatic language are they not necessary oh yes. oh no, absolutely. to create a discourse that's that what they, they're there for oil yeah, yeah this,
1: the, the, the lubrication of social intercourse is what phatic community uh, is that's exactly what it is you're not going to walk into somebody and say I feel separate alone and fucking <laughs> And I have tried it on dog walks, and it's nev- it's it's never worked. So, of course, they serve a purpose. But I was thinking about when you were saying about uh, being present, because, of course, I think that's probably something that all three of us... I don't know. This is just supposition. Share that my... And I, I think you two, John, for sure... You go searching forward, that's what causes anxiety. Your mind's racing forward looking for outcomes but if I do this and I do that and that could be this, this could be that, but what if that and then the other part is looking back. And I think it feels like some people have two or three little advance guards that do that, and then others have hundreds. So that you can never truly and when I've attempted Russell to be present, I've just I've always found it Uh, impossible i've never been able to um to stop those voices
2: you're an intellectual in it and like it's hard for intellectuals to untether that ever roaming constant activity in the mind i have the same problem and that's why i've had to learn spiritual practices and specifically meditation and like even now I'm quite far along the road, as in it's been, I don't know, 10, 12 years. I've been meditating for a long time. There are still points where I sit down to meditate and I think, well, all you're doing is thinking with your eyes
0: shut. Yes, yes. Well, yeah. at all. Yeah. Yeah, well, as you know, I did a course on, on transcendental meditation, which I know you're a big advocate of. And I, and I only did it a couple of months ago. And it's just so, the, the practice is gone. And I tried to do it again uh, last week, and I just thought... And that was the thing that came to my head. I'm just, I'm sat here being busy with my eyes closed because I haven't yet turned my brain off. I haven't got to that point. Try boxing. Boxing's much better. Boxing's much better. Boxing's much better, I think. Than meditation. I think
1: so, yeah. I think so.
0: I think we might have a different view on that. It's a bit more immediate. (laughs) Well, no, because I know you did Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, didn't you, Russell? So you've had that experience of the physicality is as to I love it. I love it. yeah.
2: Yeah, the brazilian jiu jitsu and I, I've, I've never done boxing to 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 any degree. I've, I hit a few packs or whatever, but like with a bjj like I uh, like it yeah, it brings you 100% into the present. It's full of meta, like of uh, applicable metaphor in that you know that you have to become comfortable with the struggle. Um, as a man in my 40s it also is something you can do like um, like without the sort of the strikes you know no, you don't get smashed. yeah yeah you get hurt and you get choked or whatever but also the submission process is very like very easy there's a sort of a beautiful tacit agreement that as soon as you That's sort of enough. Attack, yeah. it's over you yeah. know
0: yeah. and
2: like um it's it, there is something quite meditative about it now like even though I've said this thing about that like, I um you know sometimes struggle with meditation and even this morning when I meditated like The reason I persevere with it is because one could argue that this kind of phatic discourse that we are critiquing socially is occurring internally, like a banal exchange of information in my own head, stuff I think all the time. Oh, is that going to happen? But then that will probably happen. What about that? You know, and like the, the way I was taught meditation is that you sit and you in man, the case of mantra meditation you silently return to the mantra and you don't beat yourself up for like oh no look I'm thinking again just whenever you notice you're thinking you return to the mantra and eventually like you know the thing I always thought is you only do it for 20 minutes but I don't do that I'd stay there till I have an experience of transcendence if that means sitting there for an hour I'll just sit there and return to that thing and eventually your mind will stop doing that it will, it will stop, you know, that it will sort through the mantra like it's a box of screws or something and it distracts it and like and in the end you realize the the key point of meditation as best as I can understand it is the understanding that you are not those thoughts you are the observer of those thoughts once you drop into that space which can be achieved through you know staring at a tennis ball or boxing or love of your dog or whatever but from meditation you can cultivate that space and I believe grow it so that the part of myself that is dysfunctional fraught with sort of challenges fear etc even if it doesn't get any smaller it as a proportion of the whole it is becoming smaller because I I, I do truly believe that the conscious and maybe even neurological space that you have access to is increased by a meditative practice.
0: I suppose on, on a basic level.
2: Audible brings these stories to life like never before. And as a member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit Audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500500 500 That's Audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500500.
0: 500. It's like any other muscle in it. Yeah, if you exercise it, there's a chance it, it, it'll grow on its potency.
2: That's certainly true in my experience, John.
0: <laughs> well, Russell, you've given us three brilliant words. Numinous. <laughs> no, sec- no, Numinous, the second one. Synoptic A. Synoptic yeah. Synoptic Syn- you've, you've given us three brilliant words. Straight out of here. <laughs> we'll go edit to this. Yeah, going, we'll get we'll edit this. Numinous, yeah, yeah. synoptic Yeah. and emphatic. Yes. And I've got to be honest, I, I loved all of them. But I like fatic. it's not a word I've come across before but it's an experience I've had, so i really I really felt with that. but at the end of every show, we always ask our guests to give us a word that they would gladly never hear again. What would yours be? I find that really hard to come up with because I like
2: words and even words that are like provoke a negative response in me i sort of I agree completely yeah I don't like dislike them there are some little like phrases that I've like got, like say for example like uh pick your brains <laughs> <I> mean, like, <laughs> things that like, are a bit too sort of ugly when you think
0: of more of a bone to pick with you
2: like things that make like are a bit too sort of uh, evocative.
0: Well, and, well, I am utterly convinced that I have sent you a message saying, Russell, I need to pick your brains on <laughs> well, something. Yeah. So this started we'll, off a really promising yeah. really promising engagement. Now it's a little bit awkward. We'll put our heads together <laughs> and sort it out. I can see you picking up your phone and going, oh, fucking he's full of phatic shite again. Let's see what he says to me.
2: I love you. I'm thinking of leaving mail. Come on. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Russell, I know you've got to go. I really appreciate you doing this for, for as much as anything. I just love... You're one of the few people, and I can honestly say that time spent with you is always better than time not spent with you. And that, that that's not an easy thing to say. And you know that for a lot of reasons on a lot of levels. So, you know, I love you. So thank you for doing this. And yeah, uh, it was a uh, joy,
1: an absolute joy, Russell.
0: It was great seeing somebody uh, duel with Tony over words. I love that.
2: <laughs> I would have seen it as a waltz myself. Oh, yeah, <laughs> no, no.
1: I didn't come in to fight. I came to dance. <laughs> yeah, I, I, no, no, nobody wins when we fight. No, I came to dance with you. I loved it. Cheers,
0: guys. Thank you. Well, see you later. See you later. Was a love, Tony. Ta-ra. Well, that was another one of those occasions where one of us has introduced one of our friends yeah, to the other one. Yeah, I think. Yeah, but you you'd be better mates than I. Would. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I tell you, it's the first guest, when I thought, oh, oh, it's Russell, and and he picks up on it, and I could see it, it was there. It's that um, the, the danger is that it's a spa or uh, or you're trying to parade knowledge rather than engage with somebody. But he's. Um, everything about russell externally would say ego i mean he's a dandy he's a stand up he's but he's singularly without ego it's a, i think that's that's the essential his essential nature is fascinating but also the final observation was he seems to have found a balance in his life that frankly I'm wildly envious of
0: yeah but I know he works at it and one thing I I would say he's one of the kindest people I've ever met
1: yeah yeah yeah
0: he's a great man yes a great man great to have him on I hope that you enjoyed that episode of three little words as much as we did I absolutely love doing this show with Tony and the guests have been brilliant Don't forget to subscribe, follow, leave us a review, recommend us to any of your friends, and it just remains for me to say also thank you to our sponsor, Quorn. Nancy's love story could have been ripped right out of the pages
2: of one of her own novels. She was a romance mystery writer who happens to be married to a chef. But this story didn't end with a happily ever after.
1: When I stepped into the kitchen, I could see that Chef Brophy was on the
2: ground and I heard somebody say, call 911. As writers, we'd written our share of murder mysteries. So when suspicion turned to Dan's wife, Nancy, we weren't that surprised. The first person they look at would be the spouse. We understand that's usually the way they do it. But we began to wonder, had Nancy gotten so wrapped up in her own novels- There are murders in all of the books. That she was playing them out in real life?